You're listening to the Boots About Business podcast. We share stories from military veterans that have transitioned to the world of business. On the show, you'll hear conversations with business leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs that all started their careers wearing boots in the service of the U.S. Armed Forces. This podcast is equal parts about sharing great stories, helping veterans, helping businesses, and fostering a greater understanding of the value veterans can bring to business. And welcome, everybody, to episode number seven of the Boots About Business podcast. I am your host, Frank Strong, and here today with us is Bob Isaminger. He is also a West Point graduate and an Army officer turned entrepreneur. He's probably best known for building a company called Night Point Systems. Based in Northern Virginia, the company provided managed services and technology consulting, specializing in cloud and cybersecurity. And at the end of last summer, Night Point Systems was sold to Perspecta. That's a publicly traded company for $250 million. And it is with great pleasure to welcome Bob to the show. How are you, sir? Wonderful, Frank, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Hey, you bet. Thanks for coming on. So I really want to spend a lot of time on Night Point Systems and your journey as an entrepreneur. But let's start with the common theme of the show, and that's the military. Why did you decide to go to West Point and serve in the Army? Uh, well, you know, Frank, I, I came from a, a military family with service in our family dating back to the Revolutionary War. But more importantly, my two biggest influences in life, I would say were my father, who was a retired lieutenant colonel, and my brother, who went to West Point uh, four years before I did. One of the reasons I also wanted to go there is because that was my path to military service in a selfless way, having college education paid for by my service. And one of the things I did when I was in high school was I enlisted in the reserves on the delayed entry program to be a helicopter crew chief and also to get some money for college. So why did I go to West Point? Family service, the ability to have college paid for through my own personal service and a desire to serve, to give back to this great nation. Yeah, for sure. The common theme is great, great reasons for sure. What was your job in the Army and where did you go? So when I graduated from West Point, I had a, a decision to make and all decisions after West Point are based on class rank. And so proud to say I finished in the top 90% of the class. So choices were limited. For me, it was more important to go to a location and serve on the front lines of what at that point was the Cold War. So I wanted to go to Germany. And in order to go to Germany, I knew there was one branch that would guarantee that that's where I would be stationed. So I became an air defender, worked with the Hawk missile system, and spent three years in Germany after doing a year of training at Fort Bliss, Texas. Yeah, I have to laugh. All of the, I've had several West Point graduates on the show, and they've all described themselves in a similar way, the top 90% of the class. But then you guys go on to be wildly successful. So it's definitely not an indicator. Many veterans describe the service as a combination of highs and lows. One of the questions I like to ask on the show is, what was your worst day in uniform and what was your best day? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd say my best day goes back to a AFSI tactical evaluation where the team I was on received a perfect score. And so that's a combination of a lot of training. That's Army Air Forces Central Europe is the acronym. And to train with a team and, and be part of something bigger than yourselves. And then to score a perfect score and the best score in all of Europe is uh, is a pretty cool event. Worst day, you know, looking back, and this day's probably changed a lot over the years. One of the reasons I built Night Point and one of the things that you miss the most when you get out of the service is the camaraderie. And so looking back, I'd, I'd say the worst day was probably the day that I got out and turned in my TA-50. Because that meant in many instances that that period in my life was over. Yeah, and TA-50 for the new guys, it's, that's the gear. And gals, that's the gear that you used to carry your gear around and. Got your canteen in there. I haven't heard that word in a while. 
what were some of the things the service taught you that you carried with you throughout your career? Number one, I think servant leadership, that you work for the people that others think may work for you. And really, the way you get the best out of others is you provide them the right resources, the right culture, the right leadership, the right vision. You do that for your folks. They know you care about them. They know you care about their well-being, their health, their safety. And they're going to bring it for you. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other things I learned is that you're always capable of more than you think you are. And the Army teaches you this in so many ways. It's If it's you're at uh, airborne school and they say you're going on a three-mile run, you know where that run's going to end. And they keep going. And they do it because they want to test your mental capability. And believe it or not, people keep going. Even though they've been told it's three miles, they know they've already ran three miles. They're going to keep going because they don't want to be the one that disappoints and drops out. So I think that's number two. And quite honestly, I think you learn a lot more about leadership when you see bad leadership in action. Sometimes great leaders, it's hard to spot them. And you have to think back later, you know, that guy was a really good leader. But you learn a lot about leadership from folks who do it wrong. Thankfully, you know, the Army's a microcosm of, of all things in society. And uh, there's enough guys out there that show poor leadership that you can learn a lot about it from them, too. Yeah, that's a great point. You can learn what to do as well as what not to do. Why did you leave the service? And then what was your plan when you decided to transition? Yeah, so I, I came back from Germany after the first Gulf War was over. The Army was downsizing. I had had my fourth shoulder operation when I was stationed in Germany. And I was having more problems with it. And so it became a time to think, am I going to make this career or am I not going to make it a career? I had gone to the orthopedic surgeon again. He said, he asked me that same question. He goes, you're going to stay in, you're going to get out. I told him I wasn't sure. And he said, well, I can medically board you. And so I went through that process to find out, number one, what did that mean as a young first lieutenant? What does that mean to you? Number two, what are the results of that? What could be the options that are available and I ended up going, getting out on a uh, medical for recurrent shoulder operations. Mm-hmm. And then take us through sort of the cliff notes of your career to get to Knife Point Systems. What did you do once you found yourself in the civilian world? Yeah, so my first job, I was always told that I would be a great salesperson. So I did what many other junior military officers did, and I embarked on a career in the pharmaceutical sales. And I was good. I remember sitting in my very first training session. We had about 40 folks in the room and everyone was talking after about a week. They were asking people, where are you going to be in five years within this organization? And I was the one guy that said, I'm going to be the the best in sales. I'm going to win multiple all-stars, which was the top 10%. I'm going to be promoted twice. I'll be a district sales manager. People looked at me like I was nuts. So what happened? Multiple all-star awards, top 10% of the organization, promoted to district manager, uh, top sales awards and that. And I, I think it all goes back to things that I learned while at West Point and in the Army. And that's, you can outwork folks. And in sales, it's easy to be good if you just work hard. And so many people don't do that. So that was the majority of my career was in sales, sales leadership. And then the end part of my career in the civilian world, prior to Night Point, started doing leadership management development as, as part of that same pharmaceutical company that I worked for. And so doing that exposed me to a lot of folks in senior positions. I got to learn a little bit more about how publicly traded company worked, about what happens in October when you're behind on numbers, how different folks at different levels look at culture and and how does culture affect the business and and how do you drive results, sales results, uh, performance results, et cetera. And so that was my career before Nightpoint, which probably is going to beg the question, well, why'd you start Nightpoint? Sounds like you're doing some good things. And so we started Night Point, how all great businesses start. And they say we, because you can't do this stuff yourself. It's about having a good team. And 
it really started over a beer, right? How do all great things start? Over a beverage. And so I distinctly remember Thanksgiving 2004, sitting on the back deck of one of my really good friends, the younger brother of one of my uh, West Point classmates and a guy I had served with, and just talking about doing something bigger and, you know, building a legacy, not only for ourselves, our personal selves, but also helping other people build their legacy within the information technology world. I didn't have a huge background there. The guy that I was talking to was one of the most incredible, still is one of the most incredible salespeople in information technology, hardware, software in the federal space. But we needed more and, and we needed we needed a smart guy, a smart guy technically. And we needed a guy with some suave and some business sense. And so I created a team and we started Nightpoint. Now someone had to be the CEO and so I was the obvious choice. But it really was about putting together an A-team that could really get it done and making sure that you hire only the best people. Okay, yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. You've come a long way from pharmaceutical sales. You've built a team. And in the intro, I described a little bit about Nightpoint as a managed services company, technology consulting. Those are words that may or may not mean a whole lot to some of the listeners. So I wonder if you could give us a little bit of the high level. What was Nightpoint? What did they do? Yeah, sure. So if you are the straight layman that I meet in an elevator and says, hey, what does your company do? I'm going to tell you we do everything from, or we did everything from, hey, I forgot my password to, to solving some of the most complex cybersecurity problems in the world. The truth of the matter is, is the real answer is somewhere in between, right? Especially around the Washington, D.C. area. And so what Nightpoint did was it solved the customer's challenges really through future-focused cloud, cybersecurity, agile developed services, and helped organizations, really about helping the organizations and being a servant to that organization you're working with, to give them really a portfolio of cutting edge technologies and innovative solutions. And we did that really, we had a, a process that we called Unbreakable Excellence. It was about, about our people, about the technology, about the process and, and how all three of those converged. And with that, you really gave the customer a predictable and high satisfaction level. And just to give your listeners a sense, Nightpoint grew to be a sizable company, yes? We did. The year we sold, last year, 2019, we were on track to do $200 million in revenue. And I'll throw out some more numbers for you. 15% three-year CAGR combined annual growth backlog, which tells you how much dollars in contracts you have still to go, over $1.2 billion, some incredibly great numbers. 95% of our revenue is from prime contracts. And one of the key things that really helped Nightpoint grow is that 90% of our revenue leveraged our own proprietary technology, which is key. It made us sticky in different places. 400 plus employees, 80% of those were cleared. Uh, we were big on training at Nightpoint. In fact, we paid a ton of money. We had an unlimited budget for training. And of those 405 employees, we could count uh, almost 1,000 certifications. Now, I will tell you too, the thing that I'm really proud about is those numbers dollar-wise are pretty huge. What I'm proud about, the rest of my leadership team was really proud about is the way we did that. We did that by building a culture that provided the best opportunity for folks to, to have the right resources, to, to be in an environment where they're empowered to do the right thing for the customer, within limits, of course. But some of the things that, that I'm proud about, eight times in a row, Inc. 5000 winner, right? That's about the numbers. When you talk about the culture and the numbers, five times Northern Virginia Care Award winner, which is given by the Northern Virginia Family Services. Washington Post, and I'll give you an interesting statistic here. We won that award five times. And of the four owners that worked in the business on a daily basis, 
four of us delivered the Washington Post as kids. So think about that. That's learning grit and resilience and getting up early and delivering papers in the snow. And it pays off. It pays off for folks. Seven mm-hmm. times, best places to work in Virginia. Four times, CEO of Corporate Culture Awards. And so for us, it was always about doing right by the business and doing right by the people. When we do them both, you get great results. That makes a lot of sense. And then, so from, you know, having a beverage, as you say, on the back porch of with a friend in 2004 to August 2019, that's roughly 15 years. This didn't happen overnight. What was your worst day and your best day as an entrepreneur? Yeah, great question, Frank. And I tell you, I've thought about this a lot, especially with the COVID-19 pandemic and wondering how, how, how different folks are leading through it. The best day and the worst day are the same day. The, the day that I had to get up in front of about 120 folks and about 300 folks that were on the phone and let them know we sold the company. It's a great personal satisfaction, but in a lot of ways, you feel like you're losing part of your, your family. You know, you're leaving your team. And, I, and I'll tell you, we thought long and hard about who we sold to. We tried to find what we believe to be the best fit for our folks that would give them the most opportunity down the road. And Perspective has been a great place for them to land. And, you know, A lot of people are just in a good place. It's a great environment where they continue to make a difference on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And you've talked a lot about culture and focus on people. And that's one of the things that struck me in reading up on Night Point is you're focused on building a team and improving the methods for building that team. In an interview with Forbes, you talked a little bit about modernizing the hiring process. What was broken and what did you do to improve it? You, you know what? It's interesting, Frank. I wouldn't say any one thing was broken, but there were a lot of things that needed people to step away, sharpen the saw, and then come back at it, right? And so we spent a good chunk of an afternoon with multiple stakeholders taking a look at all the steps that are part of the recruiting process. And it's not just the recruiting, right? It goes back like, do you have the right job description in place? Do you have the right certs that people need so you're not trying to recruit the wrong people? So you don't look at a resume and then and then set up an interview and talk to someone and just waste your time because they're not the right person anyway. And so what, what it really took was whiteboarding the stages. So what's the job description? And then going through all the different processes, which we discovered at night point, we had about eight different steps. And the final step was the contingent offer letter and hiring. Then they had to get through the, the background check, the investigation, make sure they could get a security clearance. And so when you take a look at all those things, there were places that we could polish to make smoother. We looked at, at places, if we added money, if we added uh, more time, if we added a resource, a body, how could we make this more efficient? In the end, it was about uh, polishing, about uh, stepping away, sharpening the ax, and then taking that process. And uh, instead of it uh, being 56 days, how could you boil that down to 32 days? How could you continue to get it smaller? And in the end, too, it was about who's responsible. You know, we, we had an operations team that helped with the recruiting. But at the end of the day, we empowered the program managers to hire the people that they wanted to hire, right? We could have just hired them from the home office, not the right thing to do. We could have just put it all on them, not the right thing to do either. So there was somewhere in the middle that allowed them the flexibility to hire the right person for their team and also give them the help and the assistance they need and scheduling and making sure people are going through the background check and keeping people warm as the security clearance process is going. And sometimes that's tough, but to hire the right people takes a lot of effort and takes a lot of coordinated effort. And one of the biggest things we did was hire one individual that became their sole job was the coordination. 
we found that when we started doing a better job coordinating, when we started doing a better job of polishing all the different steps in the process, that we were able to bring the time to hire down, at least the time to, to give a contingent offer, right? We can't always control how long a security clearance process takes. That That's individual dependent, right? Right. But we can do our best to make sure we get someone to the goal line. And if that goal line is ultimately them getting a security clearance, that's something we can help them get to. And then their efforts within the security process helps get them over the line and on board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to get a peek behind the curtain on that from a, a company's perspective, because the hiring process can definitely seem overwhelming for veterans in transition. What advice do you have for veterans you know, coming out of the service and trying to get a gig in the business world? Well, I think number one, they have to understand that that whatever they did translates, right? And so I remember a conversation I had at a job fair years ago, and it was actually at FedEx Field, where a senior enlisted guy and master sergeant E8 guy had probably been in the army, you know, 20 years, was about to retire. And I was talking to him about IT, information technology and opportunities. And he goes, what do I know about that? I'm just an infantry guy. And I asked him where he was stationed. And he told me Aberdeen Proving Ground. And so when he told me Aberdeen, I knew he wasn't doing infantry stuff. And so I said, well, what are you doing at Aberdeen? And he goes, well, I'm running this program and I'm running this program. And I said, well, you're doing far more than, than just infantry stuff. I said, do you like what you do? He goes, yeah, I love it. He goes, I don't love it as much as being an infantry guy. He goes, but I love it. It's challenging. It's rewarding. And I said, well, that's what you do. You know, you're a program manager. You lead people. I go, you're 17 years out in the infantry units of this army has provided you leadership skills. I go, now you're leading a program uh, using the same leadership skills to do that. I go, so that's what you do. You're a program manager. He goes, I never looked at it that way. And I said, well, you know, part of it's tough. You don't want to give up the fact that you're an infantry guy. I get it. I've never met an infantry guy that wasn't proud that he was infantry. Yeah, that's and, right. and, and so uh, I think at the very beginning, people need to realize that uh, their skills are not an artillery They're not a, a military policeman. They're not an infantry guy. They are, but in the purpose of getting a job and starting your own business, you're a leader. That's what you are. You're someone who uh, I go back to what I talked about. Uh, people, veterans know that they're capable of just a little bit more. You know, mm-hmm. you can do so much when you put your mind to it. And I go back to the one thing I think veterans do more than anyone else is they're not afraid of hard work. They will outwork 90% of the civilian workforce, without a doubt. I've seen that and I've seen what uh, helps make people successful. And I like to call it one of the intangible things that makes someone better than the person next to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, work ethic's a great point. And translating sort of your military skills to the civilian world. But I'd be remiss if I didn't ask a successful entrepreneur to translate you know, some of that thinking into starting a business. So what advice would you have for veterans thinking about starting a business? Yeah, so the number one piece of advice I'd give to you is it's a lot funner if you do it with someone else, right? So people look at me and go, uh, you're crazy. Yet you, you started this with too many people. And I look at them and say, I wouldn't have done it any other way. You know, the unique talents that each person brought to the table made Night Point what it was. We were able to, to act synergistically and build off of each other's strengths. And you, you also, you share the joy and you, you share the pain, right? And so every day is not the best day in the world, but if 85% of your days are pretty good, that's not too bad. And so I would say, don't be afraid to find a good friend. A fellow veteran doesn't have to be, but if it is, so be it, to help start your dream. It's a lot more fun when you got someone to go along the ride with. That makes a lot of sense. And so, and today you've sold the company, you've had a successful exit, 
and you're involved in several charitable events oriented around veterans. Is there one you want to tell us about? Yeah, let me let me focus on one because it, it digs deep in, into my heart and it digs deep into the, the military service of my family. And so I, I serve on the, the board of the Johnny Mac Soldiers Fund. And what this organization does is raises funds to ensure that the college needs of the sons and daughters of our fallen are taken care of. I think we all know that there are programs out there that the government has for these kids. But one of the reasons I got involved is it goes back to the fact that that money's never enough because ultimately there's always something that falls through the crack that isn't taken care of. And so my mom was a gold star kid. My grandfather was killed in a tank battle in World War II, buried over in the Netherlands. And as a gold star kid, my mom was eligible for college education funding, but the funding ran out, right? So my mom never graduated from college. And it's something that I want to make sure no kid has to deal with that ever again, specifically the sons and daughters of our fallen. Their parents gave so much. And I think, and I've heard this before, that if you ask a fallen service member as they were dying, you know, how can I help you? What, what would they say? They'd say, take care of my family. Johnny Mac Soldiers Fund is just one way we can, we can make sure we do that, that we give back through education so that their kids can have a good life. And we'll be sure to put a link to the organization in the show notes. To that end, it's always the the last question that I ask, and we'll put a link to this in the show notes. But if there's a you know a veteran or a soldier or somebody listening to the show and wants to look you up online and get in touch, how can they do that? Yeah, LinkedIn's probably the absolute best way. I typically get back to my messages within 24 hours on LinkedIn. Anyone can find me. There's not a whole lot of Eisenmengers on there, and so that's the best way. Absolutely, without a doubt. This has been great, Bob. You know, thank you for your service. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your experience as an entrepreneur. Thanks, Frank, and thank you for your service. Thank you for listening to the Boots About Business podcast. Please know you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you catch your podcast. And while you are there, won't you leave us a nice review? It'll help the show and in turn help other veterans. Finally, if you know someone that's a veteran in business or is an entrepreneur with a story to share, Hit us up using the contact form on the show's website. That's bootsaboutbusiness.com. That's all one word, bootsaboutbusiness.com. Until next time, I am your host, Frank Strong, out here.